0: So, can you guys just tell me how this podcast works? Like how it We wish
1: we could. <laughs> <laughs> we have no idea. It's only been 108 episodes. What, so. what makes you
2: think it's working? <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is the AT Banter Podcast. A balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minnell, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show.
1: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. banter. Ooh. Ooh. It is, you can tell it's summertime Exuberant around here. Yeah. Everybody is happy. Yeah, full happy. on, <laughs> full on jingle stick today, baby. Everyone is happy. The weather's great. A little cool today. Yeah, a little bit. I have coffee. But it's nice we'll though. Get it's, there. It it is, yeah, so. but it's nice. I who I hate really super hot. Yeah. Summers. So. I agree. Uh, how are you folks? How are you folks how are you guys how
3: are you folks How are you
1: folk ducky yeah
2: yep. splendiferous
1: excellent um hey right oh no you know what what i'm changing up today hey steve Ooh. hey rob what are we doing today
2: today we are going to talk to uh, uh lynn langell and linda mamer and me uh about the uh, children's low vision project of british columbia mm-hmm. a project that uh i've been with since the very very beginning and uh which uh, i'm really happy to uh present to the world yeah this is you (laughs) know this is it's
1: it's so funny that it's taken this long for us to put this together because this has been a passion project of yours for so long and uh we've been we've been sort of trying to trying to pull this this episode together for a while just getting you guys together to talk about it and uh Took a hundred and some <laughs> odd episodes.
2: Well, it's funny because, uh, you know, we've talked about doing a CLVP show for a while and and uh, getting Lynn and, and Linda and myself together for this show. And every time for the last bunch of clinics that I've gone to the clinic, I have gone with the express purpose of nailing down a date. And those clinics get so busy, uh, that, uh, it just sort of evaporates from your head and, and, uh, yeah, I'm really happy. We finally managed to nail a date down after, you know, a mere two years.
3: Yeah. Well, we'll blame it on the busyness of the clinics. Let's do that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
3: So, <laughs> shut up. Right.
2: It's the Democrats. It's all the Democrats fault. <laughs> just, just saying payday's a few days
1: away. That's true. You might want to be humble. Love you, both. Steve. <laughs> <Get me> Distract. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's open the room. Open the room. Open the room.
0: Hello. Hello. Hello.
2: It's Lynn. Hello, Lynn.
0: Oh, I feel so official. I have a headset and everything.
2: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm here. Hey, there she is. Hello. Can you, can you hear me?
2: We can hear you.
4: Yeah. Oh, good. How is everybody?
1: Not We're too good. Bad, good we're doing How a are podcast <laughs> <Are> we? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna try uh okay well uh hey well where the heck do we start um i think i think okay well
2: first off um we should do some intros we should do some intros well first off let's introduce uh lynn Langell. say hi lynn
0: hi everyone
2: and linda mamer
0: hi everyone
2: both of whom are part of the team with me on the uh, children's low vision project of British Columbia. And that all got started with uh, little Miss Lynn Langell there.
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, you want to tell the story of how uh, how it uh, came about, Lynn?
0: Sure, I can. Um, I'm I'm a vision teacher and O&M instructor, orientation mobility in Kelowna, BC, and Um, probably 14 years ago or maybe 15 now, I had the opportunity to learn about a low vision project similar in West Virginia. And, uh, Rebecca Coakley, who is there at the West Virginia Eye Institute was running this program in their state. And I heard about it and learned about it and said, this is something that British Columbia needs. Um, For many, several reasons, we can get into what what the service looks like. And actually, uh, Linda Mamer is is also responsible for the beginnings of this because she was with me on the journey to do the fact-finding, as we called it back then, uh, discussing the concept with several vision stakeholders in British Columbia. And through the support of my director, Dr. Peter Malloy, here in Kelowna, I was able to sort of begin to gather the, the core pieces of what this project would look like and ultimately establish a pilot project that was funded by the Ministry of Children and Families. And um, we were often on our way. So that's sort of the the foundational steps that got us to where we are today.
2: And uh, where, where exactly are we today?
0: <laughs> well, we have completed year, I think, 12. Am I right? That's awful that I can't remember the exact date. Of low vision clinics around British Columbia. We're now doing six two-day clinics around uh, several different regions of the province, reaching out to all um, of the low vision children and their families. And uh, we have a team of amazing committed people that this would not be possible without. Part of the, the fact finding was putting together the team players that I knew we needed to have in order to make this work because it brings together the educational community for the visually impaired and the medical community. And we needed to have people that were willing to work together and work as a team and not have sort of their own uh, specialized half only. And it's a collaborative team approach of ophthalmology, optometry, um, orientation and mobility, assistive technology, low vision specialist, and uh, educational vision teachers on the team, and an administrative assistant who work together to make the magic of CLVP happen.
2: Yeah! Shout out to Terry. Woo Terry! Yeah,
0: Terry. She's going to be here soon.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So, so what was the, the basic need that you saw when you first uh, started the, the project that, that you guys really wanted to sort of fill?
0: Well, good question. I guess I'll go again. Um, basically, the foundation of the project is to provide um, low vision devices, optical aids, and assistive technology recommendations, and a functional vision assessment to visually impaired students in BC from ages four to 19 who would benefit from the use of these devices and the technology um, and really to improve their quality of life at home and at school. And also we had a um, philosophy in there and you know, information about reducing the need for large print by the use of these devices. So those were sort of the um, anchors of what we used as our uh, reasoning behind wanting to begin a project like this here.
1: Now, what's your experience been in, in in bringing in the sort of the the kids and the parents in terms of have are they generally surprised at the existence of some of this assistive technology? Like they had no idea that it was even there that that could benefit them so much, or. Like, like, what's their typical reaction to to being put in front of some of these devices?
4: Well, um, the devices have been um, amazing uh, for many of our families. So uh, when Lynn said we see uh, students from the age of four to um, nineteen, it um, it showed us that we would get young children coming in. And those parents were brand new to the whole area of devices with visual impairment. So right from the beginning, it gives the parents a lot of information, but also a lot of hope of what's going to be available for their children as their children go through the school system. And they are stunned to see the array and variety and the... um, different um, abilities their their children can have from using the different devices. So we use the opportunity really to educate the students, the teachers, and the families on what's available for the students, um, readily available for the students in British Columbia. So we show them a lot of what we call low-tech devices at my station, and also I'm always thinking to the future. So I'm having parents know what's available now, even if it doesn't um, apply to their child at this time based on age or ability level so that the parents can see, oh, okay, I'm not going to have to worry about high school. And that's been such an enriching part for our, our clinic. And also taking the time to educate the parents means the parents can spend a substantial amount of time at each station really getting the in-depth information that they uh, need, but also that it's hard to get when you're in a doctor's office um, right. and you have a limited amount of time with your ophthalmologist or optometrist.
1: Yeah. I mean, do, do you find that you also have to be a little bit forward thinking as well when you're, when you talk to them? Because especially with, with kids who are, who are dealing with, with all types of different eye conditions, during that age, those eye conditions are are very fluid. Uh, I mean, they can, they can certainly get worse, um, during those years. Do you, do you find that it's a lot about education, you know, sort of forward thinking like, okay, we're going to show you a, a low vision device now, but here's something that's maybe more tuned to, um, you know, legal, like blindness that you may need down the road.
4: Well, that's a very good question because we see a lot of students with um, degenerative conditions and uh, we direct them to our optometrists and ophthalmologists to get really good um, medical information in that regard. But exactly, that's exactly what we do is we have the parents see what helps now for all students, even the ones who have a stable eye condition, that um, this will be good for your child now, but maybe in a couple of years they can, um, I call it upgrade to a different device and the child will be ready then. At the same time, because we're all all, um, educators of children, we're very aware of um, children's readiness levels. So we may have the actual perfect device for a child, but if the child says very clearly, I'm not going to use it for whatever reason, it may be that they don't think they need it. It may be that um, they feel they're getting by with what they have, they may not want to have devices that look different in their classroom. So we have to be very sensitive to where the child is now so that we're we're, um, respectful of that, but also at the same time planting seeds for what could be helpful for them. Because ultimately as vision teachers, our job is to make it as easy as possible for the students to see. So they don't have to work at 150% to get the information. So that's where we're we're very aware when the students come to us of of what may help, what they may be ready for, what may they may not be ready for, but we know they need to know about. And that's one of the beauties of the low vision clinic is that the parents can really have the opportunity to learn. And also once they're at the clinic, it goes on for two and a half to three hours. We invite them to circle back if they have a question once they've left our, our station, or if they wanted to see something that they weren't sure of, or could we explain something more in depth to them? And that part is very reassuring to us that we're giving a, um, a, a vast array of information and demonstrations to the family and to the teachers.
2: Lynn, Lynn do you want to, um, let, let's uh, just take a step back and maybe you can describe the clinic process and what, what happens as uh, as a kid's going through our, uh, through our clinic.
0: Sure. I just I just wanted to add from what Linda said there that we do <clears throat> like to see the students within two to three years uh, on a rotational basis so that as they go through the school years, we can we are able to follow them through. And we've had students now that we we started with as preschoolers and, you know, they're they're moving in and out of high school. So it's been very um, you can really get to know these families and the kids and families will come back and Know what they're sort of what they're what to expect, but also maybe it's time to trade in some devices, and we can talk about the library itself. But that was just an added piece to what Linda was was discussing. As far as the clinic process goes, um, most of our referrals come from uh, the vision teachers of British Columbia. They're pretty much all now um, well well-informed and, and have participated in, in clinics with us so they know what to expect. And that was part of the growth process as well was having teachers being willing to come with their students and families and feel safe to have their students assessed by somebody else because vision teachers also do functional vision assessments and being willing to be open to learning with their children, students, uh, about what could help them in school rather than feeling. We're um, sort of telling them what to do. It uh, they've learned very quickly that it's a collaborative process, and we'll often have vision teachers call us and say, "What do you think about this kid? Should they come to the clinic?" Or, you know, we've got this device. I'd like to exchange it. So it's become a really nice open communication with the team and the teachers of the province. We also do get referrals from doctors, optometrists, ophthalmologists. And sometimes we even get parents that learn about us uh, from maybe the private system that have have hard and would like to have their child brought to the clinic. And so, of course, there's the referral process, there's the forms process, and then we get to the point where the family comes to the clinic. Um, We do an, an initial intake of information and discussion of what's going to happen. And they start off with our low vision optometrists. We have two. Uh, low vision optometrists Dr. David Grimes and Dr. Louise Mischick who each uh, attend a clinic they they share three clinics the, um, the six clinics of the year and they will do a functional vision assessment there of near, near and distance vision color contrast checking their fields their depth perception looking at their glasses prescription it's sort of a we call um and um, it's a non-medical uh, uh, functional vision assessment in a classroom setting. And we explained to the, the students and families that this is what the st- it's like for the students to see in their classrooms under this type of lighting conditions and, you know, windows nearby with glare and possible issues for vision. It's not a dark room in an optometrist's office, which is perfect conditions for testing vision. So... We, we talk about that being the functional side of the assessment. Once we have um, that done, they move on to Linda's station and the optometrist is able to discuss with Linda uh, what the visual acuities are, what the, the issues are functionally for the student, and they can sort of pre-discuss some ideas for what to present initially to the student in the devices area. And that's when the student gets to try all the fun stuff and, Believe me, no one has more fun at this than Linda in this department. No question.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, after Linda, they go to see Peter, Mr. Peter. And Peter is an orientation and mobility instructor as well as a vision teacher. And that's when we look at um, taking the students outside and trialing distance devices like binocular, binoculars, uh, looking at sun filters and discussing uh, the the independent and safe travel needs of the students that are that he's he's assessing. It's not a formal orientation mobility evaluation, but it's it's a sort of initial step to looking at what their uh, vision teachers and orientation mobility instructors can begin to use for a device for that area of their curriculum. And then they want Steve. And why don't you talk about that part, Steve?
2: Uh, okay. So, um, when they, when they come to my station, um, they, they've already been looking at optical aids with Linda. So I can, I can get a a sense from, from Linda as to, um, you know, what she's offered to them. Um. So all of the stuff I do is all electronic magnification um, and starts at about four times magnification. In some cases, kids don't need that high a magnification. They, they might be able to get along fine with optical aids, in which case I just move them on to the ophthalmologist. Uh, but, uh, but we talk about things like magnification, contrast, um, You know, what color settings work for somebody, uh, magnification on computers if they're using computers in the classroom. Um, I have things like, uh, large print keyboard stickers I can give them, uh, and really that's about that and sorry, handheld, uh, electronic magnifiers we're now dispensing as well. So, uh, things like the, uh, the pebble of 4.3 inch, uh, video magnifier, uh, I can dispense those at, at the clinic for, uh, for kids, typically the older, the older kids who are more mobile, um. Yeah so we we go through the the options there oftentimes I'm I'm discussing their needs with the uh, vision teacher uh there's certain vision teachers that I hate uh because
1: need uh, <laughs> names. It, it, Whoa. It.
2: Edit, oh, edit. oh oh well let's let's start with Miss Nikki DiCario up in Terrace because every oh, every geez. time every time I go up to uh, the Terrace Clinic and we run into Nikki, her kids already have everything that oh. I'm even you know, thinking about offering their kids. So it's like uh oh you're one of her kids. All right, move along. <laughs> just, just, just she get allows
0: it. you to not get to do any work at that
2: point. That's true, that's true. I, I get a lot of Sudoku done at first
3: <laughs> clinics. Oh,
4: <laughs>
0: also, too, from Steve Station with the technology, like Linda said, the kids and families get to see what's available and what's coming uh, for their schooling school years. And we're um, in direct contact with, as well as the vision teachers are, with Set BC Special Education Technology. So we're able to say to the to the district, like, you might want to consider applying for a CCTV. Uh, room viewer whatever type of system we're recommending uh, through the set process and then also too if it's for at home uh, we talk about the different ways to do fundraising like through the canadian military police fund for the children to have uh, you know that sort of option at home as well
2: Yeah. And sometimes we also uh, end up having the conversation at that stage about uh, the possibility of looking at alternatives such as uh, Braille, for example, if a kid's got a, you know, a serious uh, degenerative condition. Um, And that can be a really awkward uh, conversation sometimes, huh?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh,
2: Because a lot of parents, I think, when you start talking about Braille, um, they're their immediate association with Braille is that that that's, that's for somebody who's totally blind, right? right? Which, which is not necessarily true. It can, it can be for kids who are partially sighted, uh, because it can provide efficiencies, uh, in, in learning and, and in reading. Um, but, uh, but, uh, some, some parents are, um, you know, they've got this preconceived notion that, uh, that anything to do with Braille means that they're conceding that their child is blind now. And, uh, um, it, it can be a very emotional, uh, conversation. You know, we've had, we've had parents who are absolutely dead set against any kind of braille education for their kid. Um, and, uh, we've, we've, I think managed to talk some of them through that, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it can, uh, it can get quite emotional at that point when, uh, when parents see it driven home that, uh, you know, they have to, they have to prepare for the future.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's part of the beauty of the team process and the collaboration with the vision teacher is often there in a situation where they're, they know that it's time to begin doing braille readiness and looking at um, that sort of thing for the future. And we're able to assist and support through that that difficult time. We've had some pretty emotional moments, you know, at the clinic with regards to that sort of thing. We've also Diagnosed. Our opt. We. The last step of the process is seeing the ophthalmologist, and um, that's when they get the full uh, physical eye exam. And they get the drops. Their eyes get get examined. We have a full ophthalmology <clears throat> office basically on the road with equipment purchased to do almost everything that they're able to do in their offices. And it's the beauty of having an ophthalmologist discuss these specific eye conditions and have the time with the family that they would never have, um, in a specialist's office. Otherwise our, our guys are seeing, you know, up to 10 students a day at a clinic, whereas they would normally be seeing 45 plus patients a day in their offices. Mm -hmm. Lots of great discussion happens there about, um, you know, secondary conditions, Nutrition for the eyes, um, eye foods, uh, what to avoid with, you know, talking to the teenagers about, um, you know, drugs, alcohol, all of these things that can worsen the tissue-related disorders of the eye. And, you know, the other one thing I thought of, too, is we've had the cane discussions where Peter's had to say, you know, it's time for you to be using a mobility cane and walking them through that delicate process of acceptance as well.
4: And the other thing um, that the ophthalmologists do more now is with all the emphasis on stem cell research and genetic editing, a lot of parents are spending a lot of time doing research on their own uh, because of the availability of the information, and then they wonder if their child will be eligible and our clinic allows um, for the time it takes to discuss um, some of those areas in depth, especially with the ophthalmologist.
2: Yeah, I think that's really the, the most powerful part of the clinic is, is the time that the parents get to spend with the ophthalmologist because you know, that, that, that time is really invaluable. They, they can ask whatever questions they want. They can get whatever answers you can give them um, you know, talk about the future, talk about, you know, genetic tests. Um, you know, yeah, thing, that's thing, a biggie. Yeah, things that they might want to, cause I mean, genetic testing now has the potential to completely change, uh, the outcome for some of these, some of these kids with, uh, with genetic, uh, conditions.
1: Could, could, could you expand on that a little bit? Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, there's,
2: um, there, there's uh, gene editing techniques, for example, for, for one specific eye condition which can reverse um, the yeah. eye condition. It's a, it's a type of, uh, what is it, it's a rod cone dystrophy, I think. Sir,
4: retinitis pigmentosa.
2: Is it retinitis pigmentosa? Okay. In
4: the family. It's a specific genetic area within retinitis pigmentosa.
2: Yeah. So, um, if if a kid gets identified as having that specific gene that uh, that's causing that problem, um, they can get uh, a, a gene uh, editing treatment and correct the condition. Wow. Yeah. And that's that's going to happen more and more as time goes on. There will be more um, cures like that coming down the pipe, um, and uh, so yeah. So genetic testing is uh, is now getting more common and, and more important.
0: Yeah. So that, that the recommendation is to get themselves registered and mm-hmm. uh, you know be on that list for when the day comes, yeah. which is is pretty exciting. So once once that's all completed, this process, and it can take up to you know a couple hours, especially if the students are do get the eye drops because there's a waiting period there. Yeah. Or Steve's even known to help uh, administer eye drops.
2: <laughs> Kids love eye drops. <laughs> they do. You. They do. Especially the the little ones. They they just love it. Please it's like ooh, eye drops. Drop it. Drop my eye. <laughs> drop my eye. <laughs>
0: Then the team gathers at what we call the wrap up. And that's when we come back to the intake table. And everybody, most of the time, we're able to get everybody to sort of pause because it's a work in progress. There's usually, there can be three to four, usually three students running at a time at different stations. So we hit pause, everybody gathers, and it's a chance for the whole team to give their input on their findings from the, the assessment. And that's when the students um, get a chance to talk about what they chose for devices. Um, that's a big piece is, is building in some self-advocacy um, strengths for the students in why they made the choices they did and how they're going to use the devices. And they get to sort of show off uh, to their family and us what, what they're taking home. The lending library of the clinic allows us to provide these devices free of charge. And um, it's sort of a, a living library because often kids will come back with devices that they're, ready, they're finished with and they're looking to, we call upgrade, um, exchange, or give back some of, of the devices. And that's sort of an ongoing process all through their school years. And then we send them on their way. Happy, and very surprised that they, you know, the kids will say that was the best eye doctor visit I've ever had. Or, um, you know, when when do we get to come back? <laughs> Whatever, and they also get to go out with chocolate eyeballs and <laughs> eye, eye suckers, and that uh, we stock up on it at Halloween. That's very we're famous for our eye
1: candy as well. <laughs> um. So how many clinics? typically occur during the course of a year
0: we're doing six two-day clinics uh now pretty much uh the ones up north tend to be sort of two days but like two half days based on travel needs and uh we sort of rotate through the regions and the, the districts of the province every year um they're sort of on a rotational basis now 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 we're we're trying to get back to some of the more remote places every three years it has been two but you know some of the other districts we're getting we're having to wait list kids so um it's it's uh it's a process to you know look at the referrals and and the needs and priorities in some of the areas where there's more kids now i should oh sorry i should also mention the uh the funding is provided for this ongoing funding, not only from the Ministry of Children and Families, but the Ministry of Education for BC. Okay. So they both provide contracted funding to uh, the school district that I work in, Central Okanagan School District 23, to run these these clinics each year.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my next question is whether or not there was, there was funding for it. Um, have you found that the, the demand has been growing every year?
0: Absolutely. Yes. Once, you know, once a family and a teacher has been to a clinic and they get it, as Linda refers to, uh, they want to come back with more kids because they see, the, they see the advantage. Linda, you might want to speak to that, too.
4: Well, and they see the the benefits of, of coming. Um, and often what we do is do what we call sort of informal professional development to the vision teachers around the province because some are brand new just graduating out of the uh, University of British Columbia master's program. So when we come, we're bringing equipment they may never have seen. We're bringing the newest equipment, both high-tech and low-tech and general um, non-optical tools. And the teachers then are learning about what's out there, and then they're also learning how to use these new tools with with the students as well. I did want to add, too, that going up north is so important because many of these families don't have any opportunity to come down to the lower mainland to go to the ophthalmology clinic at Children's and the visual impairment uh, program at Sunny Hill. Um, So they may only see a local person who would be good, but not that experience with children. So often we see um, students who've never seen an ophthalmologist and really can help those people see the bigger picture of of, um, the different eye conditions because we can bring our experience of other students we've seen with the same eye conditions to those families and, and have them feel that they're receiving good medical help, regardless of how, re- uh, how remote um, their, their situation is.
0: The other, the other piece, too, is that, you know, we'll make referrals. Our ophthalmologists will and optometrists will make referrals to uh, either local or uh, down at Children's for specific tests that need to be done um, so that the clinic can be a venue for that sort of thing, sometimes we have students that we recommend to go into contact lenses, and so they would see their local optometrist for that. So, there's all kinds of different pieces that that uh, come out of out of the clinic process for that as well.
2: We've even we've even had a case where we've uh, we've saved kids' vision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
2: So you want to tell that story?
0: That was our first clinic on Vancouver Island and um we uh, our ophthalmologist diagnosed two i believe retinal detachments, and this was a particular student who was uh, had autism as well and wasn't able to communicate a change in her vision and She was very quickly on a medevac to children's hospital that day and underwent surgery that saved uh her you know vision wow. her. Hmm. Partial vision. We've also had uh, eye, to, you know, eye cancers detected by our doctors as well, which they've had to, you know, then go on to other specialists to to investigate. So pretty powerful, pretty powerful stuff.
4: And, and the other area along that line is, um, as our experience grows with children from the medical point of view, often we run into children who've received a diagnosis based on what what appears to be is the diagnosis, but often from someone who hasn't seen enough children to uh, be sure. And um, when you have ophthalmologists who've seen a number of children with the same eye condition, they can be much clearer and much um, more predictive of the future. So we went through a time when many students, at least one per clinic, came to the clinic with an eye, eye diagnosis that everyone believed on the, on the basis of, of good clinical work. And in fact, um, that diagnosis was, was completely wrong. Wow. And um, when we're in a time of so much research available on the internet and parents are searching, they will <laughs> keep searching for um, some sort of help or cure for the, st- the students. So the parents currently now are really, really focused on getting to the root of what the eye condition is. So when our clinic can clarify or at least set the family on a path to making sure they have the correct diagnosis, that's so much more um, important information for the family to have. Because some eye conditions are right now being researched, even at UBC as we speak. This is not future or You know, uh, 10 years from now, right now, there are students in clinical trials. And not that we're saying that's where all children should go, but the drive for the families to find out as much information as possible is very high. And helping them ensure they have the correct um, label diagnosis for their eye condition is very important.
3: Well, and I think that's one thing, you know, people have to keep in mind is, you know, using the Internet for Research is great but at the same time you have to be careful in self-diagnosing yourself there's Mm -hmm. no guarantee
4: exactly yeah
3: that's why we have experts
4: and many many parents i have two right now who spend hours each night looking at research around the world for a cure for what their child has and we have to respect that and help them where we can. At the same time, we're continuing to educate their child, but the drive to know that information and to look for a cure has become stronger, I've seen, Mm -hmm. as the internet has more information. So being able to discuss that information with an informed ophthalmologist who's seen other children with the same eye condition is incredibly important for these families.
1: So... Seeing how powerful these, these clinics can be for, for the families, what's your – and I, I'll sort of pose this to all three of you. What's the hurdle that is preventing something like this from being less of a – something that comes through town every three years to being something that, that would be more of a mainstay? for families throughout the province you know we've
2: we've talked lots about this um it, we we need our b team yeah
0: yeah we need the the missing piece is the follow-up um that we're actually you know as since we've been in pro you know we've been doing this for so many years now i really feel we all feel it's time to review uh and renew and look forward to you know some of the things that we really feel need to still occur for this to be you know even greater and that the the one big thing I believe is follow-up because you know often we don't see these kids for another two or three years and they're out in the you know they're out in the system we're trusting that everything's okay and that the vision teachers will communicate with us but we're giving out some pretty expensive um, items and trusting that they're going to be be taught uh, correctly, trusting that they're going to be used and, um, you know, used at home and at school to their best uh, functionability. So, I, my dream is to be able to have the manpower to, to do that sort of thing. Uh, I, pie in the eye in the sky, eye in the sky. Ooh, I like that. Uh, we're going to have a CL summit, we're calling it next year to be able to bring the players together and really take a couple days and really take a look at what we're doing, how we're doing it and how we can, you know, add to this service.
1: Now you guys initially, you said that uh, you sort of modeled this after something that was being done in West Virginia Um, has have some of the other provinces sort of looked at you guys and, and sort of tried to, to set up something that's similar to you.
0: Several years ago, Alberta came on board and I was able to support them and go up there. And their team, uh, some of their team came and tra- visited our clinic and they were able to secure funding. And they have what's called the Traveling v- Low Vision Clinic in Alberta. They're now in both the North and the South regions. But uh, so far, we haven't infiltrated the other provinces. The hope is that, you know, eventually. Um, that will happen I think it really comes down to of course the funding but you've got to have the passion and our team is a a fine example of passion for what we're doing at its finest Um, it, it wouldn't work otherwise the way that it does
4: well and it was really Lynn's vision from the beginning that drove it and the vision has made it successful and having another province take it on, you'd need that same level of commitment on many levels, um, both at the practitioner level and then the medical level, but also the support right. from the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of whatever the province has for children and family. And again, it, it, it took it took Lynn's vision to get us there, and, and we'd be so supportive of any other province who mm-hmm. identified someone who was willing to do it because in our minds we could, we could sell it very easily because it's such a fantastic service. Well, I have there- a couple
0: other thoughts to share. Is that okay?
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: um, I've just thought of a few other things. Another piece of the clinic that's become a really nice addition when possible are other partners in the field, um, that come and attend the clinic. Pretty much now we have a regular attendance from Provincial Resource Center for the Visually Impaired. We have uh, Adam Wilton and one of his outreach teachers, Ellen Heitch, who attend a clinic representing the province and are able to meet the families, meet the students, and support the teachers. We've also got BC Blind Sports attending when possible to connect with families and talk about education and arrange visits to the individual school districts to help support students in their phys ed activities. And uh, Blind Beginnings is another Mm -hmm. uh, community partner that when possible, mostly when we're in the Lower Mainland, you know, has representation at the clinics. Um, And, you know, having Linda on the team, has been a direct result of collaboration with the provincial outreach program for students with deaf-blindness. And as a result of Linda's participation on the team, we've been able to see students with deaf-blindness as well at the clinics and work with their consultants to prepare these specific students' needs for the, you know, the clinic process, which has a, been a wonderful addition and support to those kids and families um we also link uh students with you know talking about summer camps and space camp which as you know is another passion of mine um we're able to talk about uh you know activities what do you like to do and and try to help them follow their their dreams or make a link for them to to get some support and my last note is about research um again another dream we have now 12 years of a database worth of assessment and reports and data for all of the children we've seen. And it has the potential to, you know, look at where are all the students in British Columbia with albinism or um, right. what about Stargardt's and, you know, how wouldn't it be great to be able to link these families and kids together? And, you know, it, there's just so many possibilities for, uh, for research purposes. But again, time <laughs> to be able to do that.
1: So is that, is that sort of your main enemy is just having the, the resources to, to do everything or is it, or is it funding or is it both?
0: I wouldn't call it an enemy. I, mean, I think what happens as a result of doing this is just, we realize the potential for, all of the things that can, that are coming out of this process, but that still could. And I mean, I do know that the West Virginia uh, children's vision rehabilitation project, they have a part like Becky herself is able to uh, do the follow-ups. She's able to do summer. They do summer camps. They do teacher trainings. Um, they do do some research. They also have an outreach team that does a third world country every year and takes mm. their team and, and does that sort of thing. So I think when you have this kind of a powerful uh, team and project, there's endless possibilities, but yes, money and time are the two, um, two big needs to help those things occur. And we're not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am.
1: <laughs>
0: what do you think, Linda. You want to uh, stay on is, for another 10 years and keep going? Sure, why not? Yeah. It, it, it's one of the, the most
4: uh, uh, fun areas of what I do, and I love everything I do. Um, yes. One of the other things we, uh, we've started to do wherever possible is when students come to the clinic, if there's two who have the same eye condition, sometimes we can put them close in time with their appointments, and then they can meet each other and really start having some, some links Um, both for the the students, but also with their families. And also we invite uh, the students' whole team to come. So their resource teacher, their classroom teacher, um, their support people in the classroom, as well as their vision teacher, of course. Principals have come, uh, speech and language pathologists, uh, occupational therapists, um, superintendents. We encourage um, everyone to come, who's around that student because the more we can increase the education base um, around these unique situations, the more people are going to have the information because often in some of the small districts, there could be one or two students in separate schools and um it may be so new to the school districts that they really have no idea of the high level of resources we have available through the province, both medically, socially and educationally. And so we use a lot of our opportunities at the clinic to be educating people on the resources, like Lynn said, and connecting them to different Organizations, And that's what I find parents of newly diagnosed students are new to the process. They just are amazed at how many things are available, not just in the lower mainland, but throughout the province for students that uh, they had no idea about. And we help to reduce their worry and fear for the future when we can say there's so much more available. Um, and we've had success with these things with other students. And so we sort of normalize the process a fair bit. Yeah, for sure.
1: Now, how do you guys go about choosing um, the location for, for any given uh, clinic? Uh, is, it, is it partly demand or do you have sort of a set sort of tour that you take over the course of uh, a few years? You, usually like we look that. for
2: places We're that have super. hot springs <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, really uh, ritzy hotels. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No. We we. How do we do that? Basically, you know, we with the provinces divided into the different regions, and we generally look to the vision teachers to either offer up to host a clinic because there's there's a fair bit. If you look at our website, um, you know, there's there's pieces involved to be a host district and teacher to prepare and have us come. Um, we don't travel light. There's lots of crates and shipment that comes ahead of time and preparation. Are we shipping
2: 15 crates of equipment now?
0: 15 Pelican crates, yeah. Yeah. And um, so the vision teachers tend to drive where the actual clinics are hosted. Like on Vancouver Island, they'll decide, okay, we're going to do it in Victoria this year or we're going to do it in Duncan this year. Um, And then we sort of decide as a team, you know, we haven't been, to Fort St. John now for two years, so we need to get back in the third year. Um, that's sort of how it works. And we, we, then we need to look at booking the, initially the time for the doctors because their surgery schedules, and, you know, they're set. So we have to work our, our clinics around that, and the rest of the team's pretty pretty flexible in being willing to go with those dates.
4: It takes a lot of work to coordinate all these visits, as you can imagine, and our uh, administrative assistant, Terry, oh, has been outstanding she's brilliant at, at organizing all the logistics, and even I don't know all the logistics, and I've been on the clinic for a, a number of years now. I'm just amazed at how it all comes together. Everything's there. The families arrive. Um, our meals are ordered in it's lights are booked hotels car yeah wow it really she holds it all together and anything you need she just takes care of and it really is the 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 beauty of the internal workings of the clinic is having a very uh strong supported um able to work on on their own administrative assistant
0: yeah because it's not you know she's allotted like part-time amount of time for this, but it it infiltrates every day of her week. Absolutely. And again, having the district support for that to allow her to do that work each day is is vital because you can't go, Oh, I can't return a CLVP call until Thursday. Right. It's, it's, it's an everyday thing. So.
1: So now Lynn, you know, when you look back at the past, what, 13 years, Mm -hmm. um, does it, does it sort of really blow your mind at, at how far you've come?
0: It blows my mind that we're this, that it's been that long, first of all, <laughs> um, you know, it was a, it was an idea from meeting, you know, someone who was doing this and, and being able to, like I said, uh, you know, my director gave me the wings to fly to put this all together, but it's really been an incredible honor to pull the people that have been a part of my professional career of 30 years to date, which I can't believe. And, you know, people like Steve and like Linda who go way back with me in my teaching career to be a part of this, uh, this process every, you know, six weeks or so that we get to do this. Um, It's, it's huge, incredible job satisfaction career satisfaction and personal satisfaction. It's hard to describe to people in our lives and work lives the power of what we get to experience when we do this as a group, because it's very intense. It's very special. It's a lot of work, but it's also a lot of fun. And uh, I just think we're incredibly lucky to get to do this.
4: And we're connected with a wonderful system across the province there's uh, visual impairment is a very small uh, per capita disability so we know many of the vision teachers and as Lynn said we get to know the families and it, it just helps that we're all able to connect um, on so many levels as we travel around we all get professional development whenever mm-hmm. we're out somewhere. Um, by seeing uh, a student with a new eye condition or a new piece of uh, equipment or a vision teacher brings something in that she's so thrilled about, she just found and, and wants to share it so that other students can benefit too. And that part really has been so enriching um, to be connected so easily in a, in a large province. It's been fantastic.
1: Okay, so now the big question. So if there's if there's somebody out there that's that's listening that uh, wants more information about uh, the clinic, whether or whether there's going to be a clinic in their area, or if they want to request uh, the possibility of seeing uh, hosting a, a clinic, uh, where can people go?
0: Uh, well, they could just go Google CLVPBC. Uh, the website itself is www clvp bc.com and all the information is there about the clinics and how to refer students and who to contact. There's um, a great video on there that AMI did on the clinic to sort of give people an idea of what it looks like and who the players are. Some of the players are. Steve, you, you need to, is there anything we got, got to talk with you about?
2: Well, we, we didn't mention the snacks,
0: what? Oh how are the these best. How you forget? He's
4: just the best. Steve? He, best. He, he cooks for us he what yeah
2: te- oh, technology yeah. is technology is actually my secondary role. at this clinic. Oh. <laughs>
4: We always get Steve to have a kitchen in his room so he can yeah know, He's such a
0: fabulous host and chef. If it's possible to get a you know a suite or a bigger room, Steve gets that room. <laughs> And really? that's where we congregate after we, after we set up the clinic, and after the clinics, before we go to dinner, before we go to sleep. Um, it's, the team is really only a part to sleep uh, <laughs> at the clinics. We're together 24-7 and we're, we're never not talking about it. It's crazy. Like It's just such an exciting intense experience and we're always talking about the kids we saw and what we learned and funny things that happen. It's, yeah.
2: it's full immersion
0: at the end. Uh, Linda takes copious post-it notes throughout the clinics and she sends the team what's called the blurb. And it's just a review of all the highlights and maybe low lights, but you know, just crazy, sometimes crazy things occur funny things to the team members and and it you read them and you just think, wow, like we should actually make a book about all this. Stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Steve. Start start writing.
2: No, I think Save that's blurbs. I think I think that's Linda's project. She's the uh, blurb writer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, listen, guys, thanks so much for taking the time and, and talking to us about it. Uh, like I said, we've been we've been trying to sort of pull this episode together for quite a while. So, um, you know, and, and we're, we're p- pleased to do anything we can do to help because it's such a great project and you guys are doing such amazing work.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Uh, our pleasure. Uh, anytime.
0: Good to uh, talk to you all. Linda, yeah. Steve, everybody, yeah. have a great summer. All right. You yeah. as well. You too. Thanks. All right. Thanks, okay. guys. Take care. Thanks. Bye, guys.
1: Bye.
4: Thanks for including me.
1: Bye-bye. Wow, look at that. I had no idea you were actually working when you were at these things. Yeah. I just thought CLVP yeah. was just like a, <laughs> this, you know, a pseudonym for I'm going to go somewhere with a bunch of people and get drunk. Uh, well, well, it is that too. That too. It sounds like, yeah, it was, it was very interesting.
3: That, I'm assuming. I've never been. I admit nothing. <laughs> I've been on the road with Steve. That's all no, I can you say. Know, it's, you know what? It,
1: it seems to me that's it's frustrating. It's got to be frustrating for you guys that... It's not a manpower. This isn't, yeah. There, this isn't more of a, a funded program because it sounds like it's so important for, for kids who are going through... Um, you know, dealing with, with being diagnosed with low vision, I mean, it's, it's gotta be a life altering experience to actually just go through this two hour clinic. It, it, it can be. And, uh,
2: you know, the, the, the clinic is fully funded. The problem is that the, the clinic is, is identifying that there's a greater need out there than, than we can currently meet with our team. Right. Um. And you know this is this is one of the reasons why we're talking about having this summit is to you know pull these ideas together, and determine okay you know if we pie in the sky if we were to meet that need what would we need to do it um, because really um, you know Lynn talks about follow up the the follow up is is the biggest missing piece to the clinic right now we don't have anybody who can you know follow up with all these kids part of it's you know. You, 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 can't physically do it because it involves traveling all over the province, right? But uh, you know, could be somebody telecommuting, connecting with the vision teacher, you know, getting the kid in the room and and you know, talking through stuff. Um, you know, there's things there's things that we could be doing additionally that would really help um, with this with this process. And the other thing we we could do, you know, I joked about Team B, and you know, I think we legitimately could have a second team um in this province um doing more clinics. Well yeah I I don't think it's inconceivable that we would be able to do um you know with another team, you know, ten clinics a year. Well when
3: Linda's saying that, you know, for some of these kids it's the first time they're seeing an ophthalmologist, you know, how many are still out there being missed? Well yeah, you
2: know and and I talked to um you know when you're when you're traveling around the province you talk to all kinds of people and and uh, you know the last Uh, clinic that we did in, in Terrace this year, I ended up talking with a a native leader from the, uh, the Nass Valley. And he said to me, oh, you should come up and visit Mm -hmm. us because, you know, we've got all these kids with visual impairments. It's like, well, okay, you've got all these kids with visual impairments, but why, why are they not being seen by a vision teacher? Why is the vision yeah. teacher not referred them to us? You know, mm-hmm. where, why is this kid off in isolation, not, not getting services? And you, you wonder how many kids there are out there sure. yeah. who who are missing services because, you know, maybe, maybe they haven't been identified yet as being visually impaired. Uh, maybe they're skating by mm-hmm. and uh, you know, nobody's really felt that there was a need for them to, to see services, but but there's definitely an unmet need in the province. There's no question of that.
1: Well, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you would think that in a perfect world, I would think that every, I would say area, and I mean, I mean you could break up the province into sort of areas like, you know, the Northern Interior, the Interior, you know, the Okanagan, etc. I mean, each of those areas, I would think, should have one of these things every year, at least. You would think. You know, yeah. uh, you know, cause otherwise, I mean, you're just going to, and not only that, I mean, what usually the clinics are what a day or, or two days?
2: We're, we're usually doing them over two days now. Um, okay. you know, if we do a lower mainland clinic, um, lower mainland clinics tend to be the busiest cause we get the most referrals down here just because of population. Um, and we'll do, you know, 10, 10 kids in a day. Um, That's... in the, in the Northern clinics, you don't tend to have the same concentration, concentration of population. And, uh, you know, we might see five or six kids a day, um, over, over two days, but then like Lynn said, you've got to, you've got to allow time for travel, you know, you got to get in get out. Um, and that can be, yeah.
1: that can be
3: tricky in different places. So.
1: But still 10, 10 kids a day, that's not many. Like No. It, and you think about, you know, know we've had
3: people on the podcast whose eye condition has, you know, gone from, you know, fairly good sight to nothing in eight months. Yep. Yeah. You know, so if they're not seeing an ophthalmologist again for another you know, three years, two, two years, three years. Well, keep
2: in you mind that this, this is, this is not, our, our, our ophthalmologist is not supposed to be anybody's primary ophthalmologist. Exactly. Yeah. The, they refer all of them. Yeah. They, yeah. they should be seeing a, a, you know, their own ophthalmologist on a regular basis, sure. but hard to do if you're in a remote area. If you're in a remote area, it's a lot more difficult than, than mm. if you're not. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, it, it's amazing. Uh, and you know, it, it, you can hear the passion in Lynn's voice and, um, you know, geez, props to her that, you know, it, it sounds like, uh, it's been, you know, so much work for all of you guys for many, many years. So,
2: yeah. Well, we, we never mentioned it, but, um, you know, Lynn, Lynn was awarded, uh, uh, vision teacher of the year this year for, for Canada.
1: Oh, oh wow. Really?
2: Yeah. Yeah. At the uh, Canadian vision teachers conference, uh, uh, what was that a month ago in Edmonton? She, uh, she was awarded that. So, you know, her, her work is being recognized, you know, she, she's, uh, between CLVP and space camp and, you know, everything else that she does, you know, she's done the, uh, the dream lift for kids, you know, where they fly kids down to Disneyland for the day. All of these kids with disabilities get picked up in Kelowna. Wow. I think they fly to Vancouver, pick up a bunch more kids and then go to Disneyland for the day. Um, you know, she, she was coordinating that. I, I'm not sure if she's still coordinating that or not, but, um, but, uh, you know, that space camp. CLVP and and she has a full-time job and two kids of her own. So, Jeez. you know, she's uh she's a pretty remarkable woman. She's got her. Yeah, I'll say. She's uh she's uh she's a hard worker.
3: Okay.
1: Well, I think that that that's that's a wrap.
3: Hey, thanks for joining us for AT banter this week. We'll see you next time. Peace out. Mic drop.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, hey, Ryan. Yes, sir. Uh, where can people find us?
3: You ask me that every week. That's because it's your thing. That's my thing. All right.
1: They can find us. So at, can I tell you, we get their T-shirts printed. with T-shirts? Yeah, with, with that all on the back. That's your catchphrase.
3: Really? Sure. All right. Online at
1: atbanter.com. Mm, it's going to look really lame on the back of the t-shirt. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> I, I think we should get it. Well, to get a t-shirt printed that says, I don't care, to do you? <laughs> For you. <laughs> uh, people can also drop us a line if they so desire. Uh, uh, AT Banter Podcast. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not really dropping us a line.
1: Oh, so do you want me to change that? After 108 episodes? Fine, okay. (laughs) People can also email us if they so desire. ATPenterPodcast at gmail.com. Or they can record a voice message and email it to us. Can they? Sure.
2: Absolutely, they can. That'd be sweet. You know what else they can do? What's that? They can connect with us on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Oh, And they can connect with us on Twitter. Yep. yep. But more importantly, they can go to iTunes right now and give us a five-star rating.
1: <laughs> Damn, that's a great idea. Isn't I, it? I hear that uh, yeah. makes your... I have a question. I, I
2: hear it makes people a better person.
1: And it cures arthritis. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, bad breath. Oh, and, and
2: erectile dysfunction.
3: Yep. Wow. Well.
1: Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. It worked for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, Ryan? What my, your...
3: my question is: When's the last time any of us looked at iTunes to see if we've gotten any ratings? Uh, exactly. Counting, exactly. Count, <laughs> episode this, one. Counting this <laughs> afternoon. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Because I haven't Zero. looked. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe everyone's giving us a five star. Video. I know that's we, what I'm maybe, saying. Well, maybe good. We need we'll to luck.
1: We'll keep up the campaign. Uh, what else? Hey, Steve. Hey, Rob. Where can people find Canadian assistive technology?
2: Well, they can find us me you ryan at uh, www.canastech.com that's c-a-n-a-s-s-t-e-c-h
1: dot com what about uh, mr rick chant and his wonderful servicing department
2: oh i heard a great story today about uh, about uh, his wonderful servicing department i was i was talking to uh, uh, one of our friends, friends of the show, Shan,
1: uh-huh. Shut uh,
2: out in uh, out in Saskatchewan, and he was telling me about how uh, their department is supposed to get stuff repaired through a certain company out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so he and another coworker both have uh, Braille Edge uh, Braille displays from Hims. Uh, so. His buddy had to get his clean. So he sent it to the company that's supposed to do all their technology stuff. He was without it for a month (laughs) and then he he (sighs) finally got it back. Uh, Shan decided to bypass that and sent his to Rick. Yeah. Uh, He, he sent it on a Tuesday. He had it back the following Wednesday. So how's that for, how's that for turnaround service? You know, that's, that's including shipping time to Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. So between Vancouver and Saskatchewan. So
1: that's pretty cool. That Rick chant. He's amazing. Yeah. Shout out to Rick. Too bad he's not nice to us. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, so he's mean. way nicer to clients.
2: But he can be found at www.chaostechnicalservices.com. That's chaos, C-H-A-O-S, technical, the way you would spell technical, and services, the way you would spell services. Dot com. Dot com.
1: Dot com. Nice. What a team. Uh, All right. So that is going to do it for us this week. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Time to go out and enjoy that sunshine. Uh, We'll see everybody next week.
2: You betcha. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com or call us toll-free at one 795 8324 For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at seven seven eight eight four seven six eight four zero, 847 6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by BenSound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master of the one take.